My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. I would say that I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that has basically been the job for the last while. So it gives me no pleasure to tell you that COVID is still with us, still evolving and can still mess up our health, our healthcare system, and perhaps our hope of a nice, easy back to school season. COVID is obviously still here, that we're likely to see a resurgence of cases as we move through the summer and into the fall. There is good news, though, and that is that by now, we're well prepared. We have all the weapons we need. We just have to make sure that people use them. Recently, Canada's Vaccine Advisory Committee updated its guidelines on COVID vaccination for this fall and beyond, marking what could become an annual move to hopefully protect those most vulnerable to the virus. So according to the new guidelines, who gets what shot and when? How do scientists subtly alter these vaccines so quickly to combat new variants? Will this really become a yearly ritual like a flu shot? And if so, how many people will bother to do it? when it doesn't feel as urgent as it did a couple of years ago. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Sabina Vora-Miller is a master's in clinical pharmacology. She has been, for just about the duration of this pandemic, our favorite vaccine expert. Welcome back, Sabina. Hi, thanks for having me again. Of course, um... It's been a while since we talked, which I guess is a good thing because it means that there's a little less urgency to what's going on. But as we speak, over the past couple of weeks, there have been um, some doctors and epidemiologists warning that we could be in for a bit of a rough fall with COVID. Why is that happening? Yeah, I mean, I think we've had a bit of a lull in the last few months with respect to COVID, likely because Omicron sort of hit people very quickly, which means we're we're riding that, you know, sweet hybrid immunity wave for a bit. And also because of summer, people are, for the most part, gathering outdoors a lot more. And I think once fall hits, our leftover immunity is going to wane and people are going to hang indoors a lot more. And so we will see another sharp increase in cases, um, particularly, you know, because we're we're getting into a period where our immunity is going down, our collective immunity is going down. And so we have to avoid another winter of a triple-demic like we had last year. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but it created a lot of havoc, you know, for hospitals and ERs. And as you know, we are already, you know, stretched on a good day with respect to our ERs. We're having situations where ERs are fully shutting down because of lack of funding and staffing, um, mm-hmm. you know, so it's only going to be worse. Plus parents and children missing school, being very ill. Even for employers, we saw downstream labor impacts in many industries, right, from this triple-demic. So we really don't want to be in that position again. 
And then we also have the ability to see what's happening in Australia, sort of to give us a bit of that heads up of things to come. And unfortunately, they had a really intense winter with sky-high influenza, along with sky-high COVID, plus other respiratory viruses. And so we, you know, we have a bit of that insight into what is what is going to come and we need to make sure that we're prepared for it this time. Give me a sense quickly, if you can, for people that uh, didn't didn't quite realize how serious it was. We're lucky enough to avoid it. Um, don't have uh, loved ones maybe in the vulnerable categories. What was that triple demic? How does it happen? Yeah, you know, I think there's a multitude of things that kind of went into it. First of all, you know, there are some theories that suggest that because we were not really exposed to many of these viruses during COVID, because our public health measures worked really well, there was what people call the immunity gap. And I, you know, I don't like that term, but I really think it's just an exposure gap. We were just not exposed. Masks worked really well, for instance. Um, and so because of that, we had a lot of people who just hadn't been exposed to a lot of these uh, respiratory viruses for, you know, a matter of two or so years. And then when they're exposed and exposed at the same time, you had vast numbers of people who were getting hit with multiple viruses at the same time. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'd heard of many cases of, of children who had both influenza and RSV at the same time, or, you know, RSV and adenovirus at the same time. And, and it, it was really difficult because we don't have the hospital capacity at this point, even if it is, you know, for the most part, something that requires a short hospital stay, we just didn't have that capacity. And so we had instances of even children who died, you know, from RSV in, in Canada when really no one should be dying from RSV in Canada. And I, and I think people just don't, um, don't understand necessarily that things like RSV can affect very healthy, you know, otherwise completely fine, healthy children, just because they, you know, children are at a higher risk for some of those downstream impacts from these respiratory viruses. And and I think a lot of people were caught off guard by that. Mm -hmm. And we also don't talk a lot about viruses, I feel, before COVID. I mean, I think I'm the, I was the only person who obsessively looked at what's happening in Australia. I look at all the surveillance reports for influenza and other respiratory viruses, but I think most people just didn't have that in their repository of things to do. And I think we're becoming more and more hyper aware of this now, which I think is good, especially now that we have tools in our arsenal. You know, of course, we have COVID vaccines, but we have influenza vaccines. And, you know, if all things go well, we probably also have an RSV vaccine in our, right. in our arsenal very soon, um, which means there are things we can do to prevent this from happening. Right. And that's great. That's good news. In terms of vaccines, that's the reason we obviously wanted to talk to you today. Um, Recently, the Advisory Council on Vaccines in Canada updated its guidelines. Now, let's just start with what did they say? What's happening now? So to keep it very simple, NACI basically recommended a booster, an updated booster for everyone in the authorized age group, but especially those who are at higher risk. So that includes those who are older adults, you know, living in long-term care or other congregate settings, underlying medical conditions, um, pregnancy. And so for these, this group, they strongly recommended it. And for everyone else in the authorized age group, they also recommended a booster. What do you mean by authorized age? 
that is the confusing part. So authorized just means who Health Canada approves this new vaccine for. And that we don't know yet. We're waiting to see what Health Canada says. As of right now, both Moderna as well as Pfizer have submitted an application for their updated uh, booster. So the updated booster is a monovalent, so it's just one strain pertaining to the XBB 1.5. Both of them have actually applied uh, for all age groups over six months. Now, it really depends on who Health Canada decides to approve this for. If they still require human data, which they did last year, it will likely be 18 plus to start and then 12 plus after. But if they, you know, decide that they don't need human data, which they don't, for instance, for influenza vaccines every year, if that's the case, I, I'm not sure if they'll do um, six months plus or maybe five years above. So that's the part that we still need to wait to see who Health Canada you know, approves it for. But NACI essentially is recommending this new updated booster for everyone who Health Canada approves it for. How does the process of updating a vaccine work? Like, what do they actually do? Yeah, so this is actually the best part about mRNA vaccines. When we first came out with them, the thing I was most excited about back when we first had this vaccine was the fact that we could update it really quickly. And that is literally what is working in our favor right now. So with other more traditional vaccines, you know, you need to culture, isolate, you have many steps, you have to grow into large quantities. But with mRNA vaccines, you don't need to do any of this. It's basically just a plug and play. You know, you drop in the new sequence on your diet. Hmm. You're able to be very nimble with um, having updated versions of this. And I just wanted to quickly, you know, talk about what I mean by the updated. So I did mention that it's a monovalent XBB.1.5. And last year, there was a lot of confusion on which variant will be included for the vaccine. Right. The WHO, Canada, and in fact, most of the world had agreed on, you know, a vaccine that was going to be based on the BA1 slash 2 variant. But then the FDA, you know, steamrolled everyone and said, nope, I want it, you know, they want it for BA4 slash 5. And so we had half of the vaccines being targeted towards BA1, 2, and then the other half towards BA4, 5, and people just didn't know what to get. Hmm. This year, thankfully, everyone is getting the same variant vaccine. It's going to be just XBB. So last year we had half and half, 50% of the original vaccine, 50% of the new variant. This year it's going to be all of the new variant. And this is because of three reasons. First of all, there's no benefits to include the original variant. I mean, it's not been in circulation for, you know, over two years now. We don't see it at all. Um, the XBB variants are the ones that we see circulating. You know, although we are beginning to see some drift, there's still no real variant of concern at this time. And all mutations are descendants of this XBB.1.5. Right. So, you know, while it may not be the most exact perfect match, it's a very, very, very good match this year. You know, of course, as long as we don't see any new variants um, emerge in the next few months. And then higher doses of just this XBB variant would be really good because it will help our body create more targeted antibodies. So we're not recalling the older antibodies. We're going to focus on getting some of these more newer targeted antibodies to the newer variant. So for all those reasons, you know, the way we're progressing this year for our booster is much more cohesive. And, you know, I actually think will be um, much better than last year's response. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor and a comedian. 
And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. Is this about to become a yearly ritual, like the flu shot? I think we're moving towards that. What I am really hopeful is that what we're going to see is that every fall we have a targeted effort towards three different, you know, vaccines. We have influenza, COVID, RSV, and everyone gets all three at the same time. So it kind of Hmm. takes away the whole, how many months are you out of vaccines? Which ones are you going to get? This way, it's just a no-brainer. You go in for your annual fall vaccines, you get all three at the same time, and you're done. Right. And, you know, so I'm actually hopeful we get to that so that it kind of takes away this whole, am I eligible, am I not, what do I do kind of thing, which just adds more uncertainty and confusion. Speaking of uncertainty and confusion, I've talked to people who, and I include myself in this, have a hard time remembering exactly how many COVID shots we've had by now. The last one was the bivalent booster uh, that you already discussed last fall or winter. How was the uptake on that one? And is a vaccine uptake holding up as we move into round four, round five, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, great question. Um, so... Unfortunately, you know, PHAC does not actually collect data to show what the numbers in Canada look like in terms of the bivalent booster uptake. Huh. So if you look at what data that they do show us, it's, it basically tells us that only 51% of the population has received a third dose, which means the first booster dose. Right. And so if you use that as our, you know, foundation, one would assume that the uptake for the bivalent was obviously much lower than 51%. You know, mm-hmm. if I had to make a guesstimate I would probably say we're looking at around 30%. That's not great. It's terrible. How does that compare with the flu shot every year? Yeah, and flu shot is slightly higher. So we are seeing flu shot, you know, it obviously varies year over year, but we see 60 to 70% uptake for flu influenza vaccine. So I think we still have a ways to go, which is why I, I actually feel hopeful that if we're going to work towards this once a year annual model that we might actually see a higher uptake off the COVID vaccines as well. Hmm. And I think, you know, people have forgotten that thousands of people are still dying from COVID in 2023. And not just that, but long COVID is also going to be, you know, one of our biggest challenges in the coming months and years. It actually already is. And I'm not saying that vaccines prevent either 100%. But it, they do significantly reduce the risk of both, right? And I think that is the one key thing that we need to remember. I do think we have to do a much better job of educating the public, explaining why it's so important to get the booster. And I feel that once we move towards a more targeted, more efficacious version, that selling the vaccine will be so much easier. And by selling, I mean uptake of the vaccine, not necessarily a transactional right. version of the word. These guidelines came out a couple of weeks ago. As you mentioned a few minutes ago, we're still waiting for the approved ages for this mm-hmm. and for the booster, I guess, to get through trials or testing or or whatever it is they're doing. Will this be ready in time for back to school early September? And if it's not, is there any benefit to 
people who are concerned getting whatever shot is currently being offered and going with that? Yeah, great question. So both Pfizer and Moderna submitted end of June for this monovalent new booster version. And so if all goes well, if I had to guess, you know, based on looking at previous timelines, we'll probably see approval by late September-ish. Okay. And I, I would assume distribution by perhaps mid to end October. And so that is my best guess at this time. Is that an ideal target, though, for the the timeline you're discussing when you talk about a triple-demic and back to school and gathering indoors? Yeah, I would probably see a, a wave of COVID occurring slightly earlier. We're seeing, you know, a slight uptick right now. And so if, that's, if this continues, we might see an uptick on COVID, you know, by September, October. Typically with RSV, um, RSV hits later in the fall and influenza usually, you know, peaks around um, after December typically. And so there is a timing difference with all of these viruses and we may miss the COVID uptake, but the way it stands right now, the way we're going to see fall guidelines come into play, again, the provinces have not announced anything, but if they follow NASI's recommendations, they're going to ask for people to have six months before getting the new bivalent dose. And so if there are people who are choosing to get a vaccine now, like a bival- uh, the bivalent now, it would mean that they'll have to wait six months to get the new monovalent. Hmm. Um, and so, I mean, that is obviously a personal decision that someone has to make with their physician, depending on their exposure, when their last dose was, and how high risk they are. But for the general population, at least, um, the advice is to wait um, until the new updated version is, is in, you know, in the market. Um, but again, you know, it, it really varies. Um depending on uh, personal circumstances. So speaking to your doctor is probably the best way to go. Sabina, as always, thank you for that information. I do want to ask you one more thing, just because it's something uh, we've talked about in the past, and and I'm curious about it. You know, when we spoke when the vaccines were first becoming available, we talked a lot about conspiracy theories around them getting in the way of uptake and people being really vaccine hesitant and how to overcome that. And a lot of the theories were like, well, you just wait in 12 months or 18 months, people are going to start dropping dead or people are going to go sterile and all this stuff. Uh, Obviously, that hasn't happened. What's happened to the conspiracy theories surrounding this vaccine and what's going on with relation to hesitancy now? You know, I actually thought that by now we would be in a much better spot than we actually are. In fact, I feel things have worsened, particularly with the social media climate that we are in right now. Even though nothing bad has happened yet. I know. It's just, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, But we're seeing this across the board on so many different science topics, including climate change. Um, I don't have an answer. I wish I did. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's one of those things that I really do want to solve in my lifetime. And so I think the eco chamber is getting louder and bigger. And it might just be because of what we're seeing in social media these days. I don't know if it's necessarily reflective of the general population, but I think that it's not something we can ignore. I don't think we can say it's it's a small, you know, cult um, group, for instance, and we can ignore it. I don't think we can. I don't think we have the luxury to ignore this because I think the problem's only going to get bigger. Mm. I'm writing an opinion piece about this right now, but I think we're in a phase in science where we need to stop talking about misinformation, stop talking about social media propagating this misinformation and actually do something about it. And we need to talk about how we can use social media to do something about it. You know, I'm all about discussing it, about having those academic, you know, conversations about it. 
But I think we're in a point where we just need more science voices taking over, especially in social media. And uh, we need to put in efforts, we need to put in funding, we need to put in a lot more into it so that we get to a point where we have equal race in science as we do from the other side. Thank you again for finding the time for us and um, looking forward to reading the op-ed. And yeah, uh, good luck with, uh, with fixing social media. Thank you so much, Jordan, for having me. Really enjoyed this conversation. Sabina Vora-Miller, vaccine expert, master's in clinical pharmacology. That was the big story. I hope you get your shot. When it's offered to you, I hope you tell people you love to get theirs. Like, it's so easy, and I don't want to do this episode every August, you guys. So help me out. Do the right thing. You can find more of our episodes, including a lot of episodes, shockingly, talking with Sabina about misinformation and vaccines at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can also give us feedback by tracking us down on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can always email us. That address is hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. And you can call us and leave us a voicemail. Spout a vaccine conspiracy if you like. I have an itchy delete finger. You can find this podcast absolutely anywhere you get them. And you can ask your smart speaker to play The Big Story Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.